Welcome back to our podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid, where we talk to researchers previously funded by Australian Rotary Health about their research findings. I'm Jessica Cooper, and today on episode eight, we'll be having a chat with Dr. Matthew Spittle from the University of Melbourne. Dr. Spittle was awarded an Australian Rotary Health Mental Health Research Grant from 2015 to 2017 for his project called Detecting Fatal and Non-Fatal Suicide Attempt Clusters in Young People. Dr. Spittle is an Associate Professor and Australian Research Council Future Fellow at the University of Melbourne. He is a biostatistician by training and publishes widely on the topic of suicide and self-harm. His research sits at the interface between data and health policy. So it's good to have you on this week's podcast episode, Matt. Um, Thank you for joining us. How have you been finding everything lately and working from home? Oh, thanks, Jessica. Look, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, For me, personally, I've quite enjoyed working from home and, um, you know, not having to walk to work each day, but being able to work in the office has been, at home, has been really great. But it's also been, you know, I've been very aware of many of my colleagues, especially colleagues with children who have found it really hard. So while it's been great for me, I appreciate that it hasn't been so great for other people. Yeah, well, it is good that you've been, you know, able to work from home and that, you know, it's so flexible, you know, during this time. So yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, that's good. Um, so so one of your research interests is in the field of suicide prevention, and you've looked at different areas of suicide, including long term trends and media reporting. Um, there has been some reporting in the media quite recently of suicide rates possibly going up as a result of this pandemic. Um, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I do, thanks. And that's a really interesting question. So there has been a lot of talk about, uh, there's been a lot of concern that suicide rates may go up as a result of what's really an unprecedented economic shock to the um, Australian economy. It's really, it's a really difficult area to, to really to know what's going to happen in the future. And there's a couple of reasons for that. So one is that there's a long lag between when a death occurs and when it's officially recorded as suicide. So, and that can be up to two years time. So we don't know, we don't have a clear idea of what's happening at the moment. The available evidence that we do have, um, for instance, from Japan suggests that suicide rates went down early on in the pandemic. And there's been, I, I, I believe, um, they have had, a, the Australian government's had a look at what's happening in Australia and the very tentative um, evidence so far is that there's been no change in the suicide rates. So that's great, but it doesn't tell us at all about what's going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, the research that you're speaking of is really based on on modelling and trying to, you know, based on a set of assumptions, trying to predict what will happen in the future. And certainly my experience um, of doing a lot of modelling of suicide data is that um, this is a really hard thing to do, that um, suicide is not an easy or precise thing to predict. Uh, It's not a mechanistic model like, for instance, infectious diseases where we know 
the biological pathways that lead from someone being susceptible to a disease infected by that disease and then in a recovery state. So there's many, many, many more unknowns. And it means it's very, very, very difficult to tell what the future holds. Um, I suppose what I should say is that it's really great that um, the state and federal governments have done a lot of things which, uh, while not directly intended to um, reduce suicidal self-harm, uh, may have uh, an unintended and positive consequence, which is to um, ameliorate or uh, any potential increases. Uh, and, you know, two things I'm thinking of there are the JobKeeper um, payments which have been coming through, so that greatly reduces the uh, economic stress that people are, are under. And then, uh, you know, the other one I've been aware of is that the state government has been providing accommodation for homeless people, and of course homelessness is a very strong risk factor for suicide too. Um, so, you know, we simply don't know what the future holds, but uh, what the modelling really does I think point to is a need to keep a very close eye on what's happening uh, in the future and to be prepared to respond quickly if there is an increase. Mm. So I guess, um, you know, people who are reading these articles and, and might be getting a bit freaked out by the, the rates going up, um, would you say, you know, maybe, you know, don't worry so much about it or? I think so, because, um, you know, this is this this shock has been very different to any other shock. It's 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 much larger than the global financial crisis that hit in two thousand and eight, and um, you know the government's response has been very different here to um, the response to the other shocks, and so um, you know that may mean that you know. That, that that one possible future, which is many deaths occurring, may not occur. I mean, it could, may, that may not be the case. The, the thing is, we simply don't know. Yeah. But the main thing is to, to monitor it and to be prepared to respond quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in 2015, that, that's when you received some funding from Australian Rotary Health to look at suicide attempt clusters. Do you want to give us a bit of a summary on what this project was about and, and what led you to looking at this particular area of suicide? Yeah, thanks. So there were two things that were really driving that piece of research. So the first was that, as I mentioned, there's this two-year lag between uh, when suicides occur and when the reported and official statistics. Um, and that makes responding to um, suicide clusters as they emerge really difficult because um, only a small number of people may know that deaths have occurred in a particular area. So it's very difficult to have a, a, a considered and appropriate response if you don't know that, it's, that, that there are many suicides going on or an, ex, an increase in the number of suicides uh, going on in a particular area. Um, and also there's the issue of um, false alarms, you know, a perception that there might be a cluster going on when in fact there isn't. Mm -hmm. So the two-year lag was one thing that drove us to think about what we could do in the area. The other thing was that in this topic, a lot of work has been done on suicide clusters, but very little work has been done on suicide attempt clusters. Mm -hmm. And by that I mean uh, many people uh, attempting suicide or deliberate self-harm. And so we wanted to um, see if we could use that information to identify, um, to see if that was a harbinger for, for suicide clusters. 
and 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 so that was really what we did was we tried to attempt um, to, to use existing data to present predict future clusters. And so so what what kind of findings came from this study? Well, it, well, it was really interesting. Um, we, we first of all learned a lot about um, who is more likely to be in a suicide or suicide attempt cluster, and and that is predominantly among young people, um, which is who Australian Rotary Health targets for research funding. Mm-hmm. Um, what we also found was that we had expected that um, a suicide attempt cluster well, well, let me go back a step. We also found that these clusters are very rare, and that's a good thing, you know. That um, so, first of all, suicide is a very rare event, and suicide attempt clusters even more so. So that that was encouraging to see too. Um, we had expected that we would see that attempt clusters would precede um, uh, death suicide clusters, but in fact, we didn't find that at all. And in fact, we tried all sorts of different ways to construct um, a, a tool that would help us to predict these clusters in the future. Mm-hmm. But the rarity of the events and the lack of overlap between the two types of clustering meant in the end that this wasn't possible. And on one level, that's disappointing because, you know, we had hoped that we would be able to develop a tool that would be useful, uh, and we couldn't do that. But on the other on another level, that's still really useful information. And, mm-hmm. you know, you like research to, to go your way, and sometimes it doesn't. But that's really important because it helps build a platform for future research after that. Mm-hmm. And it tells people what not to do, you know. It tells people in the future that, you know, this is not a useful avenue to think about how to predict these things in the future. Focus your efforts elsewhere instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, so so what came from this, I guess? You know, what... What future research led on from from this particular grant, and what kind of implications could there be? Well, I think um, the research has really gone in two directions now. Um, uh, some of it being done by me, but most of it being done by other people. So it's led first of all to an increased focus on identifying clusters and identifying quite specific clusters of suicide. And uh, to take one example. Um, identifying uh, hotspots on the rail network, so um, where there may be an increased uh, number of suicides uh, at particular parts of the rail network. And that's really important to know because if we can identify those places, then we know quite a lot about what interventions can be applied to those areas to stop or to reduce the chances that people would die by suicide there. And that really leads to where the second avenue of research has gone which is um, really focusing on interventions. So barriers are a very useful intervention for reducing suicide at suicide hotspots, but we don't know how high those barriers should be. We don't know how far they should extend. We don't know what they should be made of. Um, and so that ongoing research is now focusing quite intently on that. And that's really exciting and, and really useful because they are so useful. Yeah. So I guess, I guess what do you think the future of suicide prevention research might look like? Are, are we any closer to driving down suicide rates? I think, um, I think it's in a really exciting place at the moment, partly because there's a lot of new people coming into the field. 
um, emerging researchers and they have a lot of ideas and they're really passionate and really excited and they're the, the bringing that with them and that's good. In terms of the specific research, at the moment I see it going in, in two different ways and, and, and we need, it needs to be going those two different ways. So one is focusing on um, very specific targeted interventions to reduce suicide. Uh, and, you know, the example of fencing would, at a particular hotspot would be a very good example of that. The other is the use of um, signs, uh, you know, lifeline signs and things like that, saying to people, here's a number to call if you're concerned. So those highly targeted interventions are a great way to go. They're really important. The second area that I think we need to go, and we're, and we're starting to go there, is um, very general interventions that aren't specifically designed to target suicide. They're designed to target more general um, antecedents of suicide, but are, are worthy problems of, of attacking in their own right. And by that I mean things like um, providing better care for people uh, through general practice. So to take an example, uh, depression and anxiety are very common mental health uh, disorders and the same um, in general practice commonly and we're work, doing a lot of work to try and find better ways of connecting people up to services that um, that help them and that that's very worthy in its own right you know we need to treat people um, but also it is what we hope is it has a long-term benefit of reducing people's, um, you know, and, and we're only talking about a small number of people here, but uh, those people who feel particularly vulnerable, it re hopefully reduces, you know, the possibility that they're going to end up in a worse uh, state. And um, and I think that's really exciting. And, and, and we need to have these two targeted strategies because, as I said, suicide's a really rare event. And that means that predicting precisely who is at risk of suicide is hard and that highly targeted interventions are often mean that you know you can put a lot of effort into these highly targeted interventions but they don't um, help all the people that need to be helping and so these very general interventions that target um, more general problems uh, and they have a direct benefit on that uh, but and, and off uh, you know a benefit of that is that hopefully reduces the risk of these other um, really rare events like suicide so yeah it's, it's about really tackling the the whole problem of you know mental illness and how that can lead to suicide and you know i guess that yeah there's different ways you can go to to go about this problem it, that, that's exactly right and so for instance in some of the work i'm involved in at the moment we uh, uh people go into uh uh, uh, in the general practice setting, they um, work with someone who helps them to identify what their what their needs are, what are the things that are causing distress in their life. And for one person, it might be financial problems. And so they're connected in with um, someone who helps them with budgeting advice. For another person, it might be that they can't sleep at night. And um, that one way of tackling that problem is is getting them into swimming lessons so that they can swim regularly and get lots of exercise. So it's a very general approach, but we um, are hopeful that it'll both you know, that will that'll you know really help people experiencing distress to um, to, to to feel better. Yeah, well, it's definitely a very important area of research, and 
and yeah, it's so great that yeah, people like you are, you know, out there, you know, doing this research to find out what works and, and what doesn't. And and I know that suicide is something that affects a lot of people, including some of the Rotarians who who support our research. And I, I guess could could you tell us why it's so important that people continue to donate to research that focuses on mental health and, and suicide prevention in particular? Yeah, look, I'd really like to. And I, just as a sort of uh, uh, introduction, I was lucky enough to go down to an Australian Rotary Health fundraising uh, uh, session. Uh, it was a dinner a couple of years ago in Hobart. And that was a really humbling experience because I got to meet so many Rotarians who had been raising so much uh, money for Australian Rotary Health. And uh, to, to see how hard they were working to, to raise funds certainly really um, made it very clear to me why this is so important. Mm. But, but uh, more generally, I think uh, we need funding for mental health research and for suicide research, um, because especially the suicide research, because it's such an underfunded area. And, um, you know, there's very little funding that comes into research on this topic. You know, to, to, to give a contrast, um, many other areas of health receive um, a much larger share of, of, of research funding, and, and that's fine, but um, it means it's, that, that there's less to go around for other really important topics, and suicide is one of those topics that, mm-hmm. um, that, that needs more research funding and more, more, more funding in general to, to tackle the problems. And so... Um, you know, the work that Rotarians are doing to raise fun- funding for um, this kind of research really, really is important. And and so it, it's beneficial directly for the research. But um, uh, what many people perhaps are not aware of is that there are other benefits that come from this funding, long-term benefits. And um, one example was the funding that we used from uh, the, the project that I talked about before, um, it funded the salary of a postdoctoral researcher who worked with me, and it um, and and it, it was a we were able to really supercharge her career to so that she could um, establish herself as a researcher with her own independent funding uh, on the back of the Australian Rotary Health funding, and she's now got more funding from. Uh, the Australian government, it's five years worth of salary support and it will mean that she can really start to do amazing research in the area of suicide prevention. So it was a really important stepping stone for her uh, to, to, to launch her career. And I know that there's many, many, many other people who uh, are in the same position. And, you know, working in Australian universities are hard places at the moment because the universities themselves don't provide us with salary support we need to find that funding from elsewhere mm-hmm. and uh, you know the, the funding that we received at the time was really key to being able to employ uh, that person and to then lo- help launch her career and help her find her own independent source of funding. Mm, yeah well that, that's really good to hear I mean I think Rotarians are, are really happy to hear that they're supporting young people in their careers you know that, that who might not have you know received this funding otherwise so yeah that, that's that's really positive oh thanks and and you know we don't waste the money at all you know we spend every cent on what we 
what we said we'd send, spend it on. And if we don't spend it all, we send money back. And that comes back to Australian Rotary Health and can be yeah. invested in other projects. And I think that's really important. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you very much for joining us on our eighth episode today. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap up? No, other than to say thanks so much for interviewing me and thanks so much for all the people who fundraise for Australian Rotary Health. Yeah, well, no worries. It's been great to talk to you and thanks again for joining us. My pleasure. No worries. Well, thank you for listening to the eighth episode of our podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. It is always so inspiring to hear what researchers in Australia are doing to make a difference to our mental health and how they are helping us on our mission to lift the lid on mental illness. If you would like to help more mental health research like Dr Spittles continue, please continue donating to our COVID-19 appeal. We have an aim to raise $200,000 by June 30, so your support would be very much appreciated. Please see the link to donate on our Australian Rotary Health Facebook page. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time.